0: We're working our way through Exodus. We're attempting to do a chapter a week. It's a pretty uh, aggressive, when you realize how much there is, but what we miss this time around, we'll catch the next time we go through Exodus, because you can never exhaust the Scripture. All right, Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to read the chapter to you. Exodus 4, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand. "...that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again, and he drew it out and of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh." Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the second sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, then you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will be blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, "'Go, return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead.' Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, "'When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I had put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go.' Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him, that is Moses. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he said, Let him go. So he let him go. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him all the signs which he had commanded him. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. And then he did the signs in the sight of the Lord, in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. Father, we ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, cause this word to sink into our hearts, this gospel to change and to transform us and to conform us to the very image of the Son of God. We ask this, that you would be glorified in your church, in your people, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, in verses one through nine, we see that God begins here and he asked Moses a question. After Moses makes this plea with God so what we see in this chapter is that Moses is giving God all the reasons that someone else should be tasked to go to Egypt and address Pharaoh and the children of Israel Moses is not confident in himself to be that person that is going to go and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt Moses is not confident in himself but God assures Moses that that he will be with him that it will not be by the power of man but by the power of God, that deliverance will come to Israel. This is the assurance that we have today. God is with us, and it's not in our own power, it's not in our own strength that we live, but it's in the resurrection life and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. We do not stand in our own righteousness, in our own obedience, but we stand by God's grace in the righteousness and in the obedience of Jesus Christ. We stand by faith in a willing obedience. So if Christ is in us, there should be a desire for obedience. But the reality is our obedience is imperfect. Our attempt to obey falls so far short, That even our best intentions, our best efforts, they don't count for anything. So by faith, we have a willingness to obey, but that obedience and even that willingness falls short. So how do we stand? We stand by God's grace. Faith gives us a willingness to obey, but it is the grace of God that upholds us as we trust in the obedience and the righteousness that is supplied to us in Jesus Christ. So Moses is saying, God, I'm not the guy. I'm not qualified. I've got all these reasons why you should not send me. And God asks this question. He says, what's in your hand? And Moses said, it's a rod. So Moses was a shepherd. It was either a shepherd's staff. He was also an old man. He was 80 years old. It could have been a shepherd's staff or it could have been a rod, a walking stick. It probably served as both. It supported him. It enabled him to do his work as a shepherd. And God says, what's in your hand? And Moses said, it's my rod. And God took that and he says, throw it on the ground. And when Moses threw that rod on the ground, that rod became a serpent and Moses ran from it. And God says, Don't run from it. Go and take that thing by the tail. And when Moses grabbed hold of the serpent by the tail, it became a rod again. And so what do we see here? We see that God can take whatever we have in our hand, even if it is nothing, and he can change it into whatever he wants for his purpose and for his glory. You may think you have nothing But if you have God, you have everything you need. God changed a common rod into a serpent and back again as a sign. And here's a picture. Think of the garden. Think of the tree. Think of Adam and Eve at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Think of the serpent that came to that tree and enticed them to eat of that. And we see this picture of a tree, a type of the cross, and the serpent. And we see God sovereign over them both. God was sovereign over the tree in the garden. God was sovereign over the serpent in the garden, just as he is sovereign over the rod in the hand of Moses to turn it into whatever he wants for whatever purpose God wants. And God took the hand of Moses. It goes on and he says, put your hand in, in the bosom of your tunic, And he put his hand in there, and when he pulled it out, his hand became leprous. And he said, put it in again, and he put it in again, and it came out as fresh, healthy flesh. And God can take the hand of Moses, and he turned that leprous hand into health again. That shows us that God can take that which is clean and make it unclean, and God can take that which is unclean and make it clean. Guess what? We were unclean. And you and I did not clean ourselves. God cleaned us by his mighty hand of power. He took you as an unclean, sinful thing, separated from him. And in his grace, he chose to make you clean. Moses pulls his hand out and his hand is healed. Then he had Moses take water and pour it on the ground. And it says, as he poured that water on the ground, when it hit the ground, it became blood. God has poured out the water of his spirit with the blood of his son upon the dry ground of our heart and has brought to us new life and new freedom. These were all signs that Moses would use to convince the children of Israel that he was indeed called of God. These are all signs not only just to prove that God really sent him, but these are these are signs and these are symbols and these are things that remind us of God's eternal redemption, that God didn't have a plan B in the garden. God had an eternal plan before he ever created a garden. God has redeemed his people by his mighty hand of power. God has taken the unclean and made them clean. God has changed the very nature of who we are so that we are now accepted in him. Verses 10 through 17, here's another question. Moses says, you know I'm slow of speech. I've got a speech impediment. I stutter really bad and I talk really slow and people are going to get tired of of, of, of me trying to explain myself to them. You probably should send somebody else. And God asks this question, who has made man's mouth? Have you ever thought about this? Here's what God says. Who has made man's mouth? Who made the mute? Who made the dumb? Who made the seeing and who made the blind? And the answer is, God says, I the Lord, I have made them. God made your mouth just as he did Everything to be used for his purpose. Nothing happens apart from the will and the knowledge of God. Nothing exists in any state or in any condition outside the realm of God's sovereign authority. We don't like to think about that. We are so deceived into thinking that we have so much control over things, and we say, well, surely God wouldn't do that. But God, plain and simple, says to Moses, Moses, who made the mouth? Who made the mute? Who made the dumb? Who made the blind? Who made the seeing? And God meant that in every way. He meant it physically, and he meant it spiritually. The Lord makes the mute. The Lord makes the deaf. The Lord makes the seeing and the blind, physically and spiritually. And he does so according to his sovereign will and his eternally good purpose. Don't forget that. That God does everything according to his eternally good purpose. God made Moses and God made the mouth of Moses to speak through a spokesman. God's promise to Moses was, I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. And that promise is fulfilled in us today in Christ. It's not that we know what to say, because we have no words to give to God. We have no words that are acceptable to God. God is the one who teaches us. God is the one who gives us the ability to speak. God is the one who gives us the ability to hear and the ability to see and the ability to respond to him. He puts the very words in our heart to speak to him so that we become accepted in the beloved. He says, I will teach your mouth what to say. I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. That promise is fulfilled in us today in Christ. God, by the Holy Spirit, dwells in us and is with our mouth and teaches us what to say. God brought Aaron to Moses. Now think about this. Moses has been away from Egypt now for 40 years. And as far as Aaron is concerned, his brother was long killed by Pharaoh. But God brings Aaron to Moses to be his spokesman so that they could together as one accomplish God's purpose. And we see this relationship between Moses and Aaron. And God says to Moses, He said, You will be as God to Aaron. You will tell him what to say and he will Say the words that you give to him. And we see in this picture, Moses is a type of Christ, while Aaron is a type of the church. Like Aaron was to Moses, we are the mouthpiece of God in the earth today. We are to speak the words made known to us by God. Those words of God are revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through the Holy Spirit scriptures you will never know what god wants you to say if you do not take the time to read god's word and if you spend your time reading god's word as some type of of book to manipulate him to get what you want out of him scriptures are not magic buttons you can push to get what you want from god this book was given to you to reveal who your God is, who your Savior is, who your Creator is. And what He wants you to know is who He is, so that you have His Word, so that as He gives you His Word, you are able to speak His Word as his mouthpiece, as his spokesman, not not to get what you want, not to manipulate him, but so that his purpose and his glory shall be accomplished in the earth. God does not exist for us. We were created for God, for his purpose and for his glory. We are to bring our mouths, our tongue, in subjection to the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to teach us, through God's Word, what to say. In verses 18 through 23, we see God make this declaration. Israel is my son, my firstborn. That is a significant declaration by God who is Israel? Well, you say, well, it's the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't have time to do it, but you should bring a notebook with you when you come to church along with your Bible. You should make notes, and if you have a piece of paper and a pen, I would tell you to write down Romans chapter 9 and go to Romans chapter 9 and read very carefully Romans chapter 9. And in Romans chapter 9, Paul makes this declaration. He says, not all Israel is Israel, but those who are of the promise. It's not the physical descendants of Abraham that are Israel. It is those who are the seed of the promise. Abraham had numerous sons. Ishmael was a son, but he was not the child of promise. Isaac was the child of promise. And here God makes a declaration. He says, Israel, my son, Israel is my son, my firstborn. A prophecy of Jesus is that I will call my son out of Egypt. Well, he did that in the Exodus, but calling Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus was just a foreshadowing of the true son that he would call out of Egypt. When Jesus was born, remember, and Herod sought to kill him. Joseph was given a dream by the angel and was told, take Mary and take, the baby Jesus, and go to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you to come back. And when Herod had died, and all those who sought the life of Jesus were dead, God called Joseph to bring Jesus and Mary back to Israel. God called his son out of Egypt. Israel is my son, my firstborn. The point here. The point of doing all of these wonders when Moses goes to Egypt is not to get Pharaoh to believe. The point of doing the wonders was never to change the hard heart of Pharaoh. The point of the wonders was to demonstrate God's power and God's glory in his son Israel. It was because of Israel, God's son, that he did all the wonders before Pharaoh. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. And Pharaoh's heart, like every flesh-born heart of sin, was already hard. When you were born, when I was born, we were born with hard hearts. And they only get harder until God softens them and changes them. Pharaoh's heart was already hard and God hardened it even more to demonstrate for all his power and his glory. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 9 God says that he God says what he means and he means what he says even when what he says does not conform to our conventional wisdom or our social niceties or our politically correct society Israel is my son is a clear allusion to Christ and this is why the body of Christ the bride of Christ the church of Christ is the Israel of God Paul writes in Galatians 6, 15 and 16, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Paul says, keep the law all you want. It has nothing to do with that. It is about a new creation, and all those who have come to be a new creation, they are the Israel of God. For as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The church has not replaced Israel. Israel and the church are one. Salvation is for the world. In Christ, the wall of separation is broken down. There is no longer Jew and Gentile, but the two are now one in Christ, for He has created in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It's all right there in black and white in your Bible. Lest we think God cruel for taking the life of the firstborn throughout Egypt, why should God spare the firstborn of Pharaoh or any other if he did not spare his only begotten son. We read these things in the Bible and we think, how could God God kill all the firstborn in Egypt? Think about all those animals. Think about all those men and women and children that died that night. And we think, how could God do that? But we need to remember, church, God did something much greater than that. God allowed the very sinless, perfect righteous life of his son to be taken at the hands of sinful murderers so that we could have the hope of eternal life and we see throughout the scripture God pointing us to this point in history in his story what he would bring about the redemption of creation through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross through the death of his firstborn son Verses 24 through 26, "...and it came to pass on the way that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him." Now, why would God seek to kill Moses? Well, the Bible gives us the answer right here. Moses was on his way to Egypt to deliver the people of Israel and bring them into covenant with God. Yet Moses, I want you to look at verse 20. It says, "...then Moses took his wife and his sons," plural, Moses had more than one son, and he set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So Moses and his sons and his wife are on their way to Egypt, and Moses is going to be the deliverer of the people of Israel. He's going to bring them into covenant with God, yet Moses had not given the sign of covenant to his youngest son. What was the sign of covenant? It was circumcision. This is what God gave to Abraham. He said, circumcise yourself, circumcise your son, and circumcise every male in your household. From those born from your loins to your servants to everyone that's part of your household, circumcise them. That is the sign of the covenant. What we did today was baptize a Grace. In the New Testament, we are now told circumcision is no longer the sign of the covenant. We just read it, Galatians chapter 6, 15 through 16. Paul says circumcision or uncircumcision does not matter any longer. Yet God said circumcision would be an eternal sign of the covenant. But yet the writers of the New Testament tell us that we are not to put our faith in being circumcised. And Paul forbid the Gentile churches from practicing that Believing that somehow that would would add to their salvation. Did God abolish the sign of the covenant? No, he did not. He gave us another sign. What is that sign? It is baptism. Baptism is now the sign of the covenant. Baptism is the sign. This is why Jesus did not say to the church, go therefore circumcising them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He said, go therefore baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because baptism in the new covenant is now the sign of that covenant. And Moses, on his way to Egypt to bring the children of Israel into covenant, had not circumcised his youngest son. And the Bible says, in no uncertain terms, that God sought to kill him. Pretty serious. God is seeking to kill him. Moses, just like us, is saved by the grace of God in spite of his disobedience. And like Moses, we are all deserving of death, but in Christ we are given grace. Now I want you to see, this is an amazing picture of Christ here in these, in these three verses. Verses 24, 25, and 26. And it came to pass, verse 24, on the way at the encampment that the Lord met and sought to kill him And Zipporah, that's the wife of Moses, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he, meaning God, so God let Moses go. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Now there are... There are different interpretations of this. It's easy to read that and to think that Zipporah was mad at Moses because Zipporah didn't want her son circumcised. That is absolutely not what is happening here. The wife of Moses is not upset with Moses because Moses wants to circumcise. They didn't have a family squabble, and Moses... In his weakness, gave in to his wife and says, okay, well, we circumcised all the rest, but we'll let this one be uncircumcised just for you. No, that's not what was going on here. God appeared to Moses, told Moses, go to Egypt. He has a newborn child, and instead of circumcising him before setting out on the three-day journey to Egypt, he does not, for whatever reason. The Bible doesn't tell us why he didn't do it. It just, we just know he didn't do it. How do we know he didn't circumcise the child? Because his wife Zipporah took the flint stone. I'm not talking about Fred, okay? I'm talking about a rock knife. He took the knife and he circumcised, she circumcised the little boy. And she makes this statement. You are a husband to blood. You are a husband of blood to me. And she throws the circumcised foreskin, the bloody skin she throws it on the feet of Moses. She puts, listen to me, church, she puts the blood of the Son on the feet of Moses. And what does God do when the blood of the Son is applied to Moses? The Bible says God let Moses go. Zipporah cut off the Son, put the blood of the Son on Moses, and Moses was saved. Zipporah, discerning threat to her husband, circumcises the son and saves the life of Moses. Had the son not been circumcised, this is what God says in the covenant, any son not circumcised is cut off. It's cut off from the people. The son would have been cut off from his people had the circumcision not been performed. So she fulfills the requirement for the sake of Moses and for the sake of the son. She declares, you are a husband of blood to me, signifying that her husband was brought back from the dead because God had a hold of Moses and God was going to kill him. But when the blood of the son was applied to Moses, God let him go. You think that was an accident? Mm, I don't think so. And she declares, You are a husband of blood to me, signifying the covenant made with blood. She wasn't angry. She was thankful that God had spared Moses' life because of the blood of the son that was shed we can clearly see the picture of Christ, the Son of God, whose blood was shed to save us when He was cut off and His blood was applied to us. Notice here in these verses that it was not Moses who saved himself, but Moses was saved by the work of another on his behalf. God let him go as a result, not of his obedience... Are you listening? Or are you listen, this is so important church. God let Moses go and saved Moses life, gave grace to Moses not because of Moses obedience, but because of someone else's obedience. Moses was not saved from God's wrath because Moses decided to be obedient. Moses was saved by God's wrath because Zipporah acted in obedience and she applied the blood. To Moses how are we saved today we are not saved by our obedience because we have no obedience to give to God we are saved by the obedience of another we are saved by the action of another another's obedience has applied their blood to us and when the blood was applied to us God let us go and gave us life Moses was saved because of Zipporah's obedience. In this way, we see Zipporah as a type of Christ. It's not our obedience that saves us, but it is the obedience of another. It is the obedience of Christ that has saved us. His blood applied to us while we are firmly in the grip of God's wrath. The last verse is here. When the Lord said to Aaron... Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God. And Aaron kissed Moses. They had been apart for 40 years. And what we see here is that our faith and our obedience in God is to be joined to the faith and the obedience of others to fulfill God's purpose. This is one of the most important things about the church assembling together. We are are not created and we are not called to live our life in faith alone, isolated, separated from one another. This is why the church is commanded to come together, to assemble together, to not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. This is why the church came together from its earliest inception until now. And they came together and they came to the table together and they ate the feast of his body and his blood together. Because it was a sign of the body being assembled. It was a sign of God's glory that God had created His body, each member individually as He willed, putting them together and making them one, making the many one. And God used both Aaron and Moses to accomplish His purpose and to bring about His salvation in Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoke to Moses, and then Moses did the signs in the sight of the people. Verse 31 says, So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worship. Our faith and our obedience in God is important in the lives of more people than we realize. People watch us every day and we don't even realize it. People hear us every day and they don't realize it. Most importantly, parents, your children hear and your parents see. And they're not determining how much value you place on God based on what you tell them based on how many scriptures you give them when you're upset with them or you're trying to get them to behave in a more convenient way for you. Now, what they really learn is, are the things that you do on a daily basis that you don't even realize you're doing. That's how they're understanding how much you value God, how much you value the church, how much you value the people of God. People tell me all the time, say, well, I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. Listen, you can't love Jesus and not love his bride. You cannot. You might as well get that out of your, that'd be like saying to your best friend, hey, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife. How long do you think that friendship's gonna last? Because there is no one Jesus loves more than his wife, his bride, his church. And you cannot say that you love Jesus and not love his church. He died. He died for his wife. He died for his church. He died for his people. Our lives are more important to the people around us than we realize. We live connected lives, and those connections are ordered and ordained by God for his purpose in ways that we often do not realize, usually do not realize. We were not created to live to ourselves or for ourselves. We were created by God, for God, to live to him and for his eternal purpose and glory. By his grace, he gives us the power and the ability to do just that. That is our great joy and privilege. May you know it. May you experience it. And may you live grateful for it every day. I want to invite you at this time to come to the table. Your invitation to the Lord's table is a standing invitation to the covenant God has established with his people The sign of that covenant is in our baptism. The life of that covenant is in the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was freely given for us. And God, listen church, God commands us to trust in Christ for our salvation. He doesn't suggest that we trust. He doesn't just hope that we trust. God commands that we trust and we are either going to obey Him Or disobey him. So as you trust in Christ. And if you have never trusted in Christ. Trust him now. Call out to him now. Cry out to him now. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone who calls upon his name. The Bible says will be saved. He will not put you to shame. Trust in Jesus and come to the table. Our charge today is that we stop making excuses for all the things that we do not think we can do, or that we simply do not want to do because they are inconvenient or uncomfortable. We are called to be a people who walk by faith and not by sight. We're called to be a people who trust not in our own power, not in our own provision, but in the power and the provision of God. We're called to be a people who live for his purpose and his glory and not our own. We are a people who have been redeemed by the blood of the Son. We are not our own, so we must stop living as though we are. Live to this end. Live to his purpose. Live to his joy. Live to his glory. And if we do this, then we are truly living.